Hello and welcome to Plot Trists. This is Lane. This is Meg. And today we're reviewing Raiders of the Lost Heart by Joe Segura. This was published in 2023 and full disclosure, we did receive a complimentary advanced reader copy uh, for this review. And first time we're reading the author, obviously this it's, isn't a part of a series. It's her, this is her debut, debut novel. Thank you, that is context I did not have. Um, Based on the descriptions of this, one, the title is an obvious riff off of Indiana Jones, and two, these two main characters are archaeologists. You would think this book would be catnip for me in particular. It wasn't. So um, we're going to do our best to be spoiler-free as usual, but if this is something you're really excited about, honestly, probably don't listen to this until after you read it. <laughs> that's fair. You know, that's that's fair. Honestly, I agree with you. All right, that was that was the one disclaimer I wanted. Do you want to do the jacket now? Sure. Archaeologist Dr. Socorro Cory Mejia has a bone to pick, literally. It's been Cory's life goal to lead an expedition deep into the Mexican jungle in search of the long lost remains of her ancestor, Chimali, an ancient warrior of the Aztec Empire. But when she is invited to join an all expenses paid dig to do just that, Corey is sure it's too good to be true. And she's right. As the world-renowned expert on Kimali, by rights, Corey should be leading the expedition, not sharing the glory with her disgustingly handsome nemesis. But Dr. Ford Matthews has been finding new ways to best her since they were in grad school. Ford certainly isn't thrilled either. With his life in shambles, the last thing he needs is a reminder of their rocky past. But as the dig begins, it becomes clear they'll need to work together when they realize a thief is lurking around their campsite, forcing the pair to keep their discoveries and lingering attraction under wraps. With money-hungry artifact smugglers, the Mexican authorities, and the lies between them closing in, there's only one way this all ends. Explosively. Great! I mean, it starts out very strong. And it gets like less and less accurate as the as it continues. Yeah, I think it does capture the attempt to be Indiana Jones in book form mm -hmm. as a yes, romance yes. novel, um, yeah. which I think is kind of funny given that Sandra Bullock, Channing Tatum, Brad Pitt movie that came out like yep. last summer. The yep, the Lost, Lost City, Lost City, the Lost City. Um, Dare I say it, that did it better. And we had our, I mean, you can go back and listen to our episode because we we watched it together. We recorded an episode about it. I think we just did we it had, as part of an errata, but yeah. It was, but, and we had, I mean, we had a lot to say about it, but in general, I think we did like it. It, I think, walked the line better between romance novel and absurdist archaeology. Yeah. I, and I honestly, I don't know how much of my ambivalence toward this book is just that that explorer archaeology filled with booby-trapped temples and sort of not a lot of credible academia just doesn't really work for me in book form. I, You know what? I think it is, honestly. I think it's the opposite. I think it's that I needed this to be more bonkers. And for me, it was a little too much. She was trying to ride the line of it being at least plausible a little bit. 
fair. I just think maybe some of the adventure shit works better for me. Maybe. With the visuals of film and the absurdity of film, as opposed to. I mean, honestly, we we don't we can't know because yeah. I don't think this book was that. Fair. This just like it so right? fundamentally did not work for me, and yeah. I'm sort of trying to intellectualize where that could just be my preference. Yeah. Like I'm pretty sure I know where it fell down for me personally. Well, I'm sure we're going to talk about it. So yes, yes. Um, I mean, yeah. So neither of us in our summaries, I think, tried to capture the tone of the book. So the jacket definitely did that better. But I think we got a little bit more accurate in some of our points. So uh, do you want me to go first or do you want to go first? You can go first. As usual, we generated a random number between 1 and 50. And for this episode, we generated 44. Which I had the best three-word summary ever, which I sent Megan a text earlier, so I'm sort of pissed it was this long. (laughs) I mean, do you want to just do a three-word summary afterwards, like, for fun? I did not come up with one, but Lane can do it. What's your... I mean, it it wasn't on purpose. It was a text message. Yeah. All right, what's your 44-word summary, Lane? Corey has justified reasons for hating Ford for his personal crusade against her career, and she only knows about some of them. Ford's got a mom with cancer and the accompanying financial problems. This book wishes it were an adventure movie, but with more camping. (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. Here's my 44-word summary. If you're going to get me academic rivals to lovers, please don't make the rivals actually the female main character being way better than the male main character and him not realizing his privilege until too late. I couldn't just enjoy this with righteous anger burning in my gut. Yeah, so this book is in many ways the opposite of competency form. Wow. Opposite of competency form. Yeah. Especially where Ford is concerned. Right. Neither of them are believable academics to me. Right. But Ford, like, achieved nothing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So let's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, for me, it was just really, really difficult because, I mean, he acknowledges that she is the world expert on this specific topic. Mm-hmm. He is using her dissertation research as like a guidebook. He passes it out to all his research assistants and everyone on the dig. Right. He knows that he's stealing this out from underneath her nose. Right. Yep. And, like, he knows that the only reason he got to do it is because he was in the right place at the right time. And, again, that was because he's a white dude who was dating the his boss's daughter. And to leave it spoiler-free, that doesn't even get into the fact that the idea that he would even take this yes. job requires him to be so goddamn stupid. Yes, that he should basically forfeit his academic credentials. Yeah, I mean, it really relies on him being stupid, uh, morally bankrupt, and financially bankrupt. All the yeah, time. I didn't buy him as redeemable. That's a totally different issue. That was the issue to me. That was the issue to me. It's like I the the fact that everything hinged on like the author trying to make me feel sorry for him because his mom had cancer, which obviously is very sad. But, like, this is fiction. I know when I'm being emotionally manipulated. Right. This isn't, like, stealing a loaf of bread in Les Miserables, where it's relatively <laughs> right. a victimless crime and pretty small scale in the name of actual life or death. 
Mm-hmm. Like he's committing professional fraud and actual crimes in the name of medical debt. Yep. That's it. That's exactly it. Lane, what's your three word summary? Camping and debt. <laughs> Camping and debt. There we go. <laughs> That was it. That was it. That was it. So um, you guys can probably pick up on the fact that we didn't love this one. We didn't love it. And I think it's hard because I don't know how much of it is expectations versus reality because you tell me two archaeologists trying to find like a lost object that would fundamentally change our understanding of history should be my catnip but there's so much in this book that just like i found myself questioning that was clearly not meant to be questioned Mm -hmm. and it's not stuff that you'd think would be obvious but things like i don't think benefactor archaeology is really a thing anymore right and this was it tried to be set in the modern day and that like contradiction just inherently didn't work for me. And frankly, they have a fight at one point, and I believe he says to her, though it may be her to him, don't quote me, well, newsflash. (laughs) (laughs) And I don't think anyone, let alone an adult, has said that in 30 years. Oh, my God. Like, you said that, and I was like, oh, like, it didn't strike me as being wrong when I read it. Like, but I don't think I would ever actually say that. In, in the heat of a serious conversation. Yeah. Like, it's one thing to be like, LOL, news flash, the sky is blue, being sarcastic, but to sincerely throw it out in the middle of a fight. Like, yeah. yeah. So, like, world doesn't revolve around you, Corey. Yeah. News flash. So, yeah. Okay. I mean, for, for me, I honestly think that this had to, I think that Joseph Gura was trying to give this sense of, like modern academia and rivals and like how it may be more difficult for a woman to get ahead, uh, which I'm sure that it is in academia, right? Like, Oh, no, I'm not doubting the sincerity of that. Right. I'm not doubting that. But for me to read an enjoyable romance, that's, that's really hard for me to get behind basically. Well, and that doesn't even get into the fact that you are lifting her up by showing that men sleep around for success. Yeah. Like, I, I think I really would have liked it more if this wasn't a rivalry that dated back to these grad school days and he got a fellowship that she felt that she deserved. Right. And that he also thought that she deserved. Right. But rather that maybe they didn't even know each other in grad school and then they each had these jobs as archaeologists and then became rivals like publishing or like, you know... I got, I found this really cool thing. Oh, I found this really cool thing. I mean, that gets a little too close to the, is it the Allie Hazelwood book? Where she finds out the guy she's interviewing for the job with wrote the paper that took down her advisor? Yes, except that they weren't, they weren't rivals. Right. But they, they didn't know each other by name to know they were rivals, but they were rivals in academia in terms of discipline. Right. I I don't know. I just feel like, for me at least, I think that it had to have been a little bit less real world based and a little more bonkers. Uh, Like maybe they're actually, you know, found a curse. Like they're like, oh, no, we did that dick together and now we're cursed. I would have been like, okay, maybe I'll maybe I'll do that. You know what I mean? And I realized that I just said that after totally being 
not down with um, the other curse book. The Scottish curse books, which Scottish, I really enjoyed. I think yeah. it's funny that you're like, if it had been more like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't. Maybe this whole idea doesn't strike me. I don't know. Maybe it wouldn't have worked for me at all. But it seems like something that, that I would have enjoyed. All right, so tropes back on back on our usual schedule. Is rivals to lovers, as I already mentioned. Yeah, um, there were a couple of really specific ones here that all kind of annoy me. I like, I don't know. I hate being this negative, but there's the real men only cry with the woman they are destined to be with, mm-hmm. like normalizing male emotion, but only as a way to show the emotional intimacy between him and the female main character, right. not in a sense that he's actually gone to therapy and learned to process them. Right. This is also supposed to be an opposites attract romance in that he does the digs by the books and mm-hmm. she does things more like Indiana Jones or Lara Croft and, you know, just gets a feel for things. And like, like um, there are stories of her running away from a jaguar, right? Right. So. They, so their whole idea professionally, though, as we've stated in the text, it didn't necessarily bear out, is that they were in constant competition all through grad school and now in their professional career. And that has driven them both to excel. Mm-hmm. The idea right. that they have to be better than the other is their motivation. Yeah. She's a woman in a man's world, as I've already mentioned. Which I do not doubt that high profile scientific disciplines are still white male dominated right i think one of the things that irked me is you know how um in there's like a ton of stuff trending on the internet right now about how bullies in movies are always like dyeing your hair pink by changing out your water whereas bullies in real life are more like oh i can see you like could afford a new skirt Mm. And like saying the insidious thing, but in a way that just sounds observational, like, oh, I'm just trying to help. Or, mm-hmm. oh, I can tell you have a crush on that guy. Come over here. I'll introduce you. I can tell she totally likes you. Like that sort of mean girl-esque thing is a lot different in books than it is in real life. Right. I feel like the way sexism in academia was portrayed here was very fictional. Yeah. Like, I don't, not to say this doesn't happen, but I don't think it's like, ooh, I want to go with Dr. Corey to Lake Titty Kaka. <laughs> I think it's. Oh, I have the option of putting this woman on my staff, but she could get pregnant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. just like, I, I think it's a little less overt and a lot more insidious. And so in a way, it made it feel like the sexism was like being played as absurd. Yes. And that was one of the things, too, that that kind of got me. Say what you will about as Say what you will about Allie Hazelwood. And we have you can listen to our episodes on her. Uh, in her books, her male main characters are very aware of their privilege yes. and very uh, uh, determined not to let it affect their science or affect their treatment of women in the workplace. Right. And in this book, what got me is Ford was just oblivious to it. Like, yes. He recognized that she was a good archaeologist. But it's not until towards the end that he's like, oh, wait, like I got all these chances that she didn't get. Maybe I didn't deserve them. 
Well, and he even more explicitly thinks, I've heard all the rude comments about her being a woman in archaeology, and I said nothing in response. In fact, I even laughed. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm all for personal growth over the course of a novel, but I'm really tired of men's personal growth being driven by a woman they know and not just a co- inherent sense of morality. Exactly. Exactly. So that that was what really bugged me probably the most, honestly. Yeah, um, he's a, this is an extremely mild spoiler, no sex since the last X. I like that that rhymes. Yeah. <laughs> this is, I mean, I guess a workplace romance, even though, here's another thing that really bugged me, like, she never got anything written down, there was no contract, nothing explaining the conditions. I don't think she ever got paid, I thought about that at several points. Right? Right? Yep, yep, I agree. Um, there is only one dry tent. In the jungle. Okay. In lieu of only one bed in the end. I want to be fair to Joe Segura. She pulled off only one tent very well. She did. Oh, yes. She has a distinctive scent. And if you're wondering if that scent essentially gets him hard as some sort of fucking Pavlovian response, yes. And I mean, it's coconut, so... Um, of course, that does mean that um, working in the jungle is maybe not the best place. To yeah, but somehow she manages to look like a supermodel and smell like coconut all the time. So what else? You know, it's fine. It's fine. Um, all right. Let's we'll talk a little bit about the book. We'll try not to spoil anything. I think you have our, our honestly main thesis of our review already. So if you still want to check the book out, you should check it out. Right. I, I think in some ways we've been unfair. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't think anything I've said is inaccurate and I stand by my opinions, but like this could have been a romp. Joe Segura isn't a bad writer. The concept mm-hmm. could be really fun. I really liked seeing modern day archaeologists, frankly, somewhere other than Egypt. Yep. Um so I, I'm not upset that this book got written I think just a combination of the lack of competency and Ford's lack of empathy really got under my skin more than and is really coloring everything I'm saying about this book clearly not every page was miserable no no I mean you're you're right like the writing isn't bad the sex is on point like this is a very sexy book in my opinion but I just, it just had elements that were not for me. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, okay, so what happens in the book? She She's working at Berkeley, by the way, Berkeley, uh, UC Berkeley, which is, seems to me like a pretty top, pretty nice spot for an archaeologist. And she gets this, it's, it's very much like something out of an Indiana Jones movie, right? This mysterious man shows up in her office and it's like, here is a plane ticket to Mexico City. If you want to be on a dig to find out what happened to Chamali, which again is her area of expertise, you know, be there tomorrow at nine in the morning, figure it out. And she's like, oh, it's an offer I can't refuse. I'll just do it. Again, this is all she knows. She knows nothing else. She has no contract. She doesn't know who she's meeting there. She doesn't know how much she's being compensated. She doesn't know where she's going to be on the publication. She doesn't know where the money is coming from. And given how much he gets judged later on in this book 
for failing to do his research. Somehow everyone absolves her, even though she's equally complicit. Well, I mean, I really feel like if there had been a contract that was like you, you're being hired as a consultant and, you know, whatever, that that would have solved that issue. Yeah. You know, because you don't as a consultant, you don't need to know, like, who the LLC is that's hiring you. You know what I mean? No one in this book thought beyond exactly what was happening in the moment. Yeah. So she's like, this is an offer I can't refuse. She goes to Mexico City. She gets off the plane and she's like, oh, shit. It's Ford. Which, yep. also to give Josegura total credit, such a white dude name. Yeah. Ford Matthews. <laughs> and he's blonde. Anyway, so she off she goes into the jungle with Ford. And joins the expedition. She, like, immediately is like, nope, you're digging in the wrong place. Yep. Fixes their shit, like, right away. She, Ford, and two other research assistants go on, like, a whitewater rafting trip to scout other places to dig. Yeah. And on that trip, they have to camp. It rains, and they have to share a tent. And she's wearing his clothes when they have to share a tent for reasons. Well, it's because they only have one tent because she lost her pack. And her pack had all of her clothes and her tent in it. Yes, Mike, I understand that. My point is, of course, something happened that made that necessary. So I do have to tell you that Joe Cigarette, like I said, pulled off this only right. one tent. Like, yes. Very well. Top. Yes. It was good. Real good. And then they wake up and they like do a little bit more hiking. And then guess what? They find the place. They find the place where they need to dig and they go, they move the expedition over there. And then it turns out that somebody on staff has been stealing some artifacts. I didn't understand a lot of that, (laughs) if I'm being honest. You're not meant to, I don't think, but yeah. So one of the things that I thought was an interesting choice, and I want to know what you thought about it. Mm-hmm. Corey and Ford have this rivalry dating back to this night at the library. <laughs> yes. And they think around it. Both of yeah. them do. And when it finally came out, what happened that night, I didn't understand why, one, they both thought about it so casually, but two, why Joe Segura felt the need to have it be a late book reveal. I I don't know. I don't know. I was, there was, it was a nothing burger, to use Lane's phrase. Yeah. There was nothing there. There was absolutely nothing there. Like, truly. I don't know. I just, like, I know I'm, I'm queen of being annoyed by characters thinking around things. Well, I mean, the fact that they were thinking around it didn't annoy me. I was like, okay, what happened in the library, blah, blah, blah. But then when it came out, what happened? I was like, oh, well, that was... Kind of well, that's underwhelming point. Like, I didn't know if I was just annoyed by it because I hate thinking around things as a concept. Well, but I sort of felt like it was annoying here beyond just my level of I wish this weren't happening, but because it didn't actually achieve like even I'm willing to concede plot. Sometimes plots only work because readers don't have certain pieces of information. 
Oh, it's not a plot thing at all. But here, it wasn't a plot. I just didn't understand. It didn't even feel like a character thing. Like, I didn't love it, Lane, but it also, at by the point that it came out, it was kind of par for the course that I was slightly <laughs> disappointed. Fair. You know? Okay. So, it didn't particularly strike me as annoying. Yeah. But yeah, they had this night at the library. Oh, that's the thing, too, is like, Ford thinks about all the ways that he's like fucked her career. Yeah. And he kind of thinks around those too. Yes. But they and all stem from that night at the library. That night at the library. <laughs> which they didn't really, which is, I just, I can't. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So then they, they figure out who's been taking the artifacts and that person tries to like, you know, kill them yeah and escape but it's a romance novel spoiler alert they live and end up together the transition from last chapter of the book to epilogue was interesting i was like are you really are you really trying to fake me out here Jessica? like you can try but the book we all know what's happening here the last chapter ends on a cliffhanger yeah and then the epilogue obviously shows the happily ever after. And I just thought that was a really bizarre choice in romance. Yeah. It, and again, also in just literature. Like, you'd think you'd want your reader to get a better sense of the resolution other than just in the most stressful moment of both of their lives, they had come to an understanding. Yeah. So I know it was a very abbreviated version of the plot, but, like, honestly, not a lot more happens uh, there's a lot of, like, talking about his feelings and, you know, relationship stuff, like her thinking. Basically, she has never wanted to settle down with anyone. So she's commitment-averse. And he is kind of a, a serial monogamist. I well, don't know that that's the word. I was going to say, I can't even say serial monogamist because he's been with, like, one woman for five years. Yeah, so he's... He's not I mean, he's, commitment-averse. He's just still really fucked up by the end of his last relationship, even though it was years ago. Yep, that too. That too. But, yeah, I mean, for me, the 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 most difficult thing about this book was, was having to sympathize with Ford. Like, men... I, I understand there has to be a relationship conflict, right? Right. And I get that there has to be something coming between these two characters. Right. But I want to be able to like the characters that I'm reading about. And right. if one of the characters is has done something mean or has done something that I find reprehensible, I need to really understand why. And right. in Ford's case, the first time it was because he didn't understand his own privilege, which right. is pretty unforgivable and in the second place he knew he was doing something wrong but was like well my mom needs the money so i'm just gonna do it but there were a lot of other there are a lot of other ways that people can get money you know right and so i just didn't i don't know especially when i i think the choice about money didn't work for me additionally because I didn't know how fantastical this world was supposed to be. 
Mm -hmm. The idea of a private benefactor in archaeology paying out for findings of a specific object and the kinds of monies that was talked about in this book Mm -hmm. is not real life. Right. So if it's happening in the real world, somebody getting that offer should be immediately horrifically suspicious and pretty sure that they were going to be asked to compromise professional and personal ethics. Right. So... I understand that this is a world in which booby-trapped tombs exist, which isn't exactly the real world. But you're right that it wasn't fantastical enough for me to believe that there was in any way, shape, or form that Ford could have believed this offer was legitimate. Right, exactly. So it was more than just selling her out. Yeah. It was to save his mother. It was also making a willfully stupid choice. Yeah, I mean, again, like I said, he's morally bankrupt, right? Yeah, he really is. So that was, it's tough to have that as your romance hero, right? Yeah, and like, I guess Corey was fine, but she also made some choices and had a way of looking at the world that didn't make any sense to me, so. Yeah. So, I don't know. All right. Content warnings? I think we've talked about them. The biggest one is professional sexism, obviously, mm-hmm. though, his mother's illness and the accompanying medical debt and also medical debt from his father's passing. Right. Um, it's just it's clearly a real life problem. And right. some people might not feel like reading about it in the context of this book. Exactly. OK, sexiness lane. is <laughs> pretty hot. I don't. I'm never going to be super into camping sex. (laughs) But she looked hot, even though she was hot and sweaty. Yeah, but it just, it's my brain, unless I'm real into the characters and real into the situation, I didn't buy their ongoing lust for each other, Mm -hmm. I think. So, like, I can acknowledge objectively that some of the situations were hot, and I was pleased with the number of camping activities that involved running water. Yeah. But... I really couldn't give two shits about these characters boning. Okay, well, I thought it was very hot. Okay. And not, because, not just because they're in the middle of the jungle. Like, it was sexy. They also were very invested in contraception. Yeah. Which was pretty funny um, and well done. Mm-hmm. And led to a 69 scene that was very hot. It was a hot lane. Sure. And then the only one tent was very hot as well. Mm-hmm. And oh yeah, this this did have I guess trope maybe is this a trope when um the the one of the characters goes through the other one's bags and finds a sex toy. She's like, don't go in my bag, and he's like, I'm just gonna help you unpack. Pulls out her vibrator. Yep, which I obviously put on top when I travel. So it's well, the first thing you grab when you open up a suitcase. Yeah, yeah, but then your suitcase got all wet. That's not a euphemism. Because it's okay. the jungle and it rained on it. I don't know. Things tumbled. They tumbled around <laughs> in the bag. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway, I will say that this was, in my opinion, probably the best uh part of the book like the part of the book that was the best done for me like it was very it was sexy it was hot um it was spicy and it was steamy because I was in the jungle so steam thanks for all those adjectives Meg you're welcome 
anyway, I will say I, I don't, maybe also part of the book is that I had high expectations. So I was like very excited for it. Mm. And so it, it was a little bit of a letdown. And I am uh, in Christmas novella framework. So everything that I'm being forced to read that is not a Christmas novella is ruining my life. So thank you so much for listening. If you're enjoying the podcast, please rate, review, subscribe, and check us out around the internet wherever you can find Plotris.